Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his faithfulness, for his goodness and his mercy. He's brought us back around to another Christmas Eve. To God be the glory for the great and wonderful and mighty and powerful things that he has done. We serve a good and faithful God who has indeed brought us peace through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because we have peace with him, we can have peace with one another. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, not only do we have peace with God, peace with our brothers and sisters, but God has called us to be peacemakers. Not peace fakers, peacemakers, where he wants to use us to demonstrate his glory throughout all of creation. So for this Christmas Eve morning, I'm so grateful to be with you once again, Forest Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Merry Christmas to you. And as we do prepare to celebrate, uh, may the Lord just remind us uh, through dates on the calendar that this is all because of him. It's all because of him. My life, our Hope, our strength is all because of him. And even on a day like this, a day of celebration, we we would be remiss to move past those who are going through difficult times through the holiday seasons. Uh, Christmas is not all uh, rainbows and gumdrops and unicorns for everybody. There's difficult times. People who have faced genuine difficulties and loss. In the past, so to you we say, God bless you. And may the Lord of all comfort meet you where you are. May he supply every need that you have. That you may be able to rejoice in the God who was faithful to you in the midst. Amen. Well, if you would, please grab your Bibles, your device, and turn with me to... Galatians, the fourth chapter, and if you're here and you do not own a Bible of your own, now the key being, if you do not own a Bible, not that you just want a new Bible, but in the back, if I just could look, there's a, there's a box of Bibles. If you do not own a Bible and you would like a Bible to take with you, uh, this is our gift to you for Forest Baptist Church, our Christmas gift, so if there's anyone here that does not have a Bible, just Signify by raising your hand and the ushers will make sure you get one of those Bibles. It's a box in the corner. But if we could please all stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Galatians, the fourth chapter. Beginning with the fourth verse, just two verses this morning. Galatians, the fourth chapter, beginning with the fourth verse. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
Just want to put, place a tag on the text before us this morning. The timeliness of God. The timeliness of God. If you would, bow your hands with me as we go before our great God in prayer. Gracious and eternal Father, we just lift you up. For you are the God of all peace. You are the great I am. You are precious and holy. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. There's no one like you. No one compares to you. You are the benevolent, kind, giving, merciful God who in spite of our sinfulness saw fit to send Jesus Christ into this world. For you stepped into time, you who were outside of time, in order to reveal yourself to bring salvation to men. So for that, dear God, we just say thank you. And now, oh God, as we continue in worship through your preached word, we ask that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would now behold the Lamb of God, slain from eternity past, to redeem a people unto yourself. So, Father, I ask that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears. You would prepare our hearts. Thank you for the songs of praise that went forth, preparing us to meet you. Now, Father, I beg that you would incline our hearts toward your testimonies, that your word would be rich and weighty, that you would minister to us as only you can. Lord, I ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we, we, we would see the glorious and good and the wonderful things that is in your word, that we would not overlook the blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day just because you're God. Lord, I ask that you would unite our hearts to fear your name alone because our hearts are divided and we are distracted. Our cares and concerns are over gifts and dinners. But God, had you not come, we would have nothing to rejoice about. We would have no banquet to dine for because you came. And, O Lord, may you satisfy us as only you can because our deepest yearnings and affections desire you to be filled by you. And, Lord, if you would sanctify us through your word this day and all by, because and through your grace, these things we ask in the precious and holy and master's name of Jesus the Christ we do pray. God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Indeed, it's a privilege and honor to be with you once again. Thank you for all of your prayers this uh, this month of December. I thank God for all the, the wonderful men who have led us and worshiped thus far. But it's good to be back. It is good to be back. You know, this... This month and this week, I've had a chance just to reflect upon God's grace upon my own life. And though some may may argue or disagree, you know, it, it was it was a blessing and God's grace that allowed me to grow up in the church. You know, growing up in the church is a blessing. Growing up in the church is a blessing because if you at the right church, you're going to get some good doctrine. 
You're going to understand the deep things of God, the triune God, how in eternity past he had a plan to, to create this world that people would glorify his name. And God, in the beginning, he created everything that is, that was, that would ever be. And he created mankind. And we will learn how man fell into sin through our disobedience to God and through Adam and Eve, their disobedience, but yet our own disobedience. And, and we see in the, in the text of scripture, the remaining of scripture, how God is drawing man and woman back to him through the prophets and we learn all this good doctrine. We learn those good Bible verses. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, for us. These are things we learned in the church. Not only am I grateful for the grace of doctrine, I'm grateful for the grace of community. Because me personally, my church family is my family. And I've met some wonderful people through the church who have cared and loved and rebuked and admonished and corrected me and helped me to pursue godliness through the body of Christ, through community, in the church. But you know what? Some times there are days when I don't remember doctrine. Sometimes there's difficult days where I may not hear from someone, but you know what? The Lord has placed songs in the church. And sometimes when you can't do anything else, you can just hum a tune. And know that God is going to encourage you by that tune that he hums in your heart. And I found myself waking up in the morning sometimes humming songs I haven't sang in, in ever. But the Lord has placed them on my heart. And there was a few weeks ago where the Lord placed one of those songs on my heart that we used to sing in the church by Dottie Peoples. And the, and the tune goes, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Those songs they are a source of encouragement even on this this. Christmas Eve, knowing that no matter what is going on, that God is always on time. We may be looking for him and we may think he should be there, but he will always be on time. Those songs are a source of encouragement, but you know what? Those songs, they're a source of tension too. Because if we just being honest, we just being 100, there's times when you think God should have showed up when he didn't. And you begin to question why, why God, why, why wasn't you there when grandma was sick? Why, why God is this, is this report coming back to me? Why God is this happening right now? Where are you? But the text this morning shows us that he's here, that he's faithful. That he's with you. When we know him, he will be there right on time. And the text this morning shows us that it's often in the darkest times of life that God shows brightest. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We think Christmas is all about opening gifts and drinking eggnog and having a good time. 
But if you understand the text appropriately, you will see that Christmas is a time of celebration because Jesus shows up in a dark place. God steps in. Beloved, because God is always on time, we can look to Jesus all the time. Looking at the text before us this morning, just a few things I want to point out for us today. But the first thing I want us to look at this morning and to understand about the timeliness of God is that the right time, the right time ain't always a good time. The right time is not always a good time. In verse four, the first portion of this verse, he says, but when the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time. As you have been getting ready for Christmas, and even on this Christmas Eve, you have been buying gifts, you have been getting cars, you're preparing to celebrate. And if you have kids like mine, or or if you think back of when you was a child, you were waiting for that moment when, when you could open up those gifts. You was waiting for that right time where you can run up under the tree or you could open that card or you could go to that stocking. But every time you would attempt to go to that stocking before it was time, you may get your hand slapped. You may get in trouble. But there was someone sitting there. It's like it's not time yet. So when we think of the fullness of time, we're thinking the set time, the specific time, the time of completion. But well, we're just boiling down to the right time. And the right time for you to open up gifts, your, your family has it set. You know, uh, you have determined what time you open up gifts today. For me, and uh, we have a family tradition. We normally open up gifts on Christmas Eve late. We, we read the, uh, the story of, of Jesus' birth together as a family. We spend time in prayer. And then we spend time opening up gifts and we just let them go at it. But that carried on from, from my parents. My mother, she worked second shift, and she would get home at, at night. And, and instead of waiting till Christmas Day, she couldn't wait for us to open the gifts. So she would just say, open them. And we was like, okay, we open them. But you have a specific time which you have determined that you would open up gifts. So when the text says, in the fullness of time, he is saying that God had determined a specific time time in history that he would send forth Jesus to redeem us from our sins. That there was a specific a set time that God wasn't out hanging. Think about hmm, I wonder if it's time now. But no, God stepped in and said now is the time that I would come to set my people free from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ in the fullness of time. Where eternity Cuts through time. We have a moment in history. Turn with me to Luke, the second chapter, as we consider this historic moment, this date that God sends forth Jesus. Luke, the second chapter, beginning with verse one, Luke, he he helps shed light on this historical context of the time that Jesus comes. Luke, the second chapter, verse one, it begins by saying, in those days, in this time, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. There was a specific time when Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem. And the time was under the rule of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, he was the emperor of Rome. And uh, people had began to celebrate him as a god almost. He was, he was like a divine person because of his works. Because of what he had accomplished. Now the time under Caesar Augustus was a time of what they call the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, a time where the Roman uh, uh, Empire, they had conquered and defeated all of their enemies. There was no one coming up against them. There was no one warring with them. They had subdued every single enemy of theirs. And it's this reason that many scholars believe that it was the time for Jesus to come. Because by Rome conquering and and established their empire, they had established roads, paved roads where the gospel could travel now easier, whereas before it had been really difficult. And scholars believe that it, this was the right time because now that uh, Rome was in control, they had a common language, this Greek language. Now everyone could hear the gospel in this same language. There's this common culture under Roman rule. So many scholars believe that it was a good time for the gospel because all these things had taken place. But, beloved, I, when I look at the text, I see another side of this. And I wonder, was this really a good time? I think a good time is a matter of perspective. Because one thing I've learned is just because it's good for some people doesn't mean it's good for all people. And just because it was good for Rome doesn't mean it was actually good for everyone else. Consider for a moment if you were a Jew in the time of Caesar Augustus. If you were a lowly Jew, your country had been occupied by a foreign government. You had been overthrown. You had been conquered. You had been defeated. There's no telling how many brothers, sisters, daughters, and family members you lost during this occupation. If you were a Jew, then you would have been experiencing political corruption. Think about Herod. All of your government officials would have been uh, uh, having their own interests at heart and the Roman interests at heart and not your interests at heart. The whole government was corrupt if you were Jewish. If you were Jewish, you was being extorted through your taxes. Here, right here in the text, it says they, they were going to Bethlehem to register. Well, why were they going to be registered? So they can know how many people and how much taxes to levy against the Jews. You were being extorted. But you know what? Even in all of that, worst of all, you were in a period of spiritual barrenness. From Malachi to Matthew, it had been 400 years since the Jews had heard from God himself. It had been 400 years since a prophet stepped up and said, Thus saith the Lord. You were in the midst of spiritual barrenness. So from the Jewish perspective, this was not a good time. 
This was a time of defeat, brokenness, and spiritual barrenness. You ain't know where God was. You was wondering if we are the chosen people, then why don't we, are we on top? Why are we on bottom? If God is really for us, then what is going on? From the Jewish perspective, this was a terrible time. But you know what, beloved, when I look at this text, I see that this, it wasn't a good time, but it was the right time. Because God often uses hard times in our lives to show us our brokenness and need for Jesus. Think about this Jewish perspective. They had been living for themselves. They had been uh, uh, doing their own thing, and God has caused this oppression to fall upon them. They're broken. There's, there's no way out. There's no leader that can raise up. They couldn't muscle their way through. They had to be dependent upon God at this time. Think about your own lives. Those difficult times, those hard times. God brings difficulties in our lives to show us how much we need him. Had it not been for difficulties, you think you were all that and a bag of chips. If it was not difficulties in your life, you would actually think that you got that degree, you got that job, and you got that family. When it was nothing but God's grace and his mercy that he had been lavishing upon you. It's in hard times that we really see our weaknesses. But yet we see his strength. Beloved, if we're not careful... We have fallen into that false belief that if it ain't good, it ain't God. We see we 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 say we don't believe a prosperity gospel, but yet in America we follow a prosperity gospel because as soon as things go bad in our lives, we say, "Why God? God didn't I do this for you? And didn't I do that for you? Then, then God, then why ain't I being blessed?" See, that's an American gospel. There's a difference between American gospel and the biblical gospel. The American gospel says everybody's supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But the biblical gospel says that I'm going to make you holy, and I'm going to make you worship, and I'm going I'm going to make you depend upon me. See, the American gospel thinks you're supposed to have something. The American gospel says that you're supposed to have money in your pocket. You're supposed to have a nice house. You're supposed to have two, three cars. You're supposed to be doing well. You're supposed to be healthy. That's the American gospel. And when those things don't happen in our lives, what's the first thing we say? Why, God? You mad at me? What did I do? What did Job do? Job was just faithful, wasn't he? But, but God allowed trouble to come into his life in order that he may glorify himself through Job's trouble. And there's times in our life where we don't know why things are happening or why uh, uh, what is going on is going on. But understand that if you know Jesus as your Savior, that it is not in vain that he would use your brokenness and build you up through it. The right time is not always a good time. In John the ninth chapter, I'm reminded of that parable where Jesus was walking down the streets and they ran into the blind man and the disciples said Jesus who was it that sinned was it their parents or was it him for him to be blind and what did Jesus say Jesus Jesus didn't say no their parents sinned and he's no Jesus says no he is blind so that I may demonstrate my glory through him understand beloved that when we go through things that God is using that brokenness for his glory 
if we are able to stand, if we are able to be faithful, God will use that so others will come to know the name of Christ. This Christmas, beloved, your, your brokenness is an opportunity for dependence. Your brokenness is an opportunity for you to, to reflect upon the goodness of God and what he is calling you to do. So I, I, I'm really encouraged you today is look to Jesus today. Because we serve an on-time God, when we look to Jesus in full dependence, he will use our burdens. He will use our brokenness to make much of himself. And when we think about Christmas, we need to not make much of those we're buying gifts for. We need to be making much of Jesus. We serve in on time. God, the right time is not always a good time. But the second thing I want you to see in the text is that the right time is always a God time. It's always a God time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. You know, in our, in our home growing up, there was tension in our home often. And it wasn't tension like people fussing and it wasn't contentiousness. There's a lot of tension in our home because my mama liked to be on time and my daddy was always late. So anytime that we were getting ready to go somewhere, I would hear my mother say over and over again, Dan, it's time to go. Dan, it's time to go. And then it was this tension. He's like, we're going to get there. Dan, it's time to go. But we're going to make it on time. It was this tension all the time. So, I, so I'm mixed up. Sometimes I'm on time. Sometimes I'm late. But there was this tension going on. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. See, but you'll find no such tension like that in the text because the right time is when God shows up. The right God's time is always the right time. He knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, and he knows exactly what we need when we need it. The right time is when God shows up. And the text says here that God sent forth his son. God shows up. He doesn't send an angel to take care of our sin. He doesn't send a prophet to actually deal with our sin. God sends the eternal second member of the Trinity, the eternal son. He clothes himself in humanity and he comes now humbling himself. Philippians 2, we read. And he's born in a dusty, dirty, smelly manger. Wasn't no hand sanitizer. Wasn't no bottle purification systems. The king of kings and lord of lords didn't think so much of himself that he couldn't put his foot in some of our mess. And he's born of a virgin. Not just any man, but the God man. Here, what what Paul is laying out for us is not only how God is right on time, he's laying out that when he's on time, God himself shows up. This is the incarnation. God sent forth his son, God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ, fully God, Emmanuel, God with us. 
And he had to be God. And he comes as God because as God, he gives us life as a infinite sacrifice to atone for our sins. It couldn't be a, a, a ordinary human being. It couldn't be a lamb. It couldn't be a goat because the, the, the atonement would only be temporary. But because it was God himself, your past, present, and your future sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I leave here, I know I need the blood of Jesus to cover me. Because I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something that ain't right. See, I, I ain't a saint all the time. I may be your pastor, but I mess up too. I ain't like you. I need the blood of Jesus to go before me. I need the blood of Jesus to purify me. I need the blood of Jesus to set me free. There's this eternal atonement taking place. God sent forth his son. But not only does Jesus identify with us in his advent, Jesus enters into our brokenness because it says born of a woman. This is speaking to Jesus, his humanity, in that he, he, he has taken upon human flesh and now he is fully God, but he's also fully man. And, and in order to be the substitute for us, in order to be, to identify with us. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 15th verse, the text says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I, I'm going to stop right there. Our weaknesses. By Jesus putting on flesh, he experienced the weaknesses that we deal with every day. Being tired in the morning. Being hungry. Going through all of the issues of, uh, of, of life, dealing with dealing with folks on a, on, a, on a regular basis. Jesus had to deal with difficult people every single day, just like we deal with difficult people. The only difference is that Jesus dealt with difficult people without sin. You know how we deal with difficult people. Like, I'm going to tell them, I'm going I'm to show them. We, so we get it in our flesh, but not Jesus. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's born, a, born of a woman. Jesus is a Jewish man. Born of a Jewish mother. In a Jewish nation. Under a Jewish law. Jesus is real. And he identifies with us. He enters into our brokenness in order to redeem us. But the text also says he's born under the law. He's not just, he doesn't just enter our brokenness. He embraces our burdens. We're born, we're born under the law. In Jewish law there, we talked about it before, there are 613 laws that the Jews would have had to abide by. And, and all these laws, every single day, knowing the weight of these laws will be on your back. And it was, it was, it was a burden going to the temple over and over and over again to sacrifice. But Jesus does away with that sacrifice in and of himself. This law is a constant reminder of our failures. The law was a constant reminder that we don't measure up. The law was a constant reminder that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And beloved, when we really see our sin for what it is, it's not a good time. But when we see our sin for what it is, it's the right time. 
You know, I've, I've done weddings and I've done funerals. I have, at every single wedding and funeral, I preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So that if there's someone out there in attendance, they, they can hear what it means to be saved. They can turn and repent from their sin and turn towards Jesus Christ for salvation. But you know what? I, I have never had anyone come to Christ at a wedding. Never. Because a, a wedding is a time of celebration and people aren't really thinking about their sin. People want to get to the, the after party and people want to do their own thing when it comes to a wedding. But I tell you what, after I preach the gospel at a funeral, I have people talk to me. Because a funeral makes you come, come face to face with death. A funeral is a, is a difficult, hard time in your life. So, so the gospel shines brightly in dark places. So when Jesus shows up in this town, he shines brightly. Because we understand that we are broken and desperate in need of him to save us from our sins. Jesus, he, he's not only fully God, he's not only fully man. But he's fully righteous. He's fully righteous. And Jesus steps into Bethlehem in a manger to redeem us from our sin and to make us righteous. Beloved, God uses hard times not only to show us our brokenness, but to show us himself. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know what he is doing on our behalf. God uses hard times to make us aware of his presence, to demonstrate his glory and creation. If you don't believe me, look at the text of scripture. You can ask Moses, trapped by the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. He can't go left and he can't go right. The Red Sea is in front of him. He has no hope, but God shows up and he splits the Red Sea. As David, when the whole army was scared of Goliath, God gives him the strength and encouragement to know that this uncircumcised Philistine, Philistine can't stand against God and he steps up. If you, don't see, if you don't see how God shows himself in tough times, ask those three Hebrew boys about the furnace. Just when they were getting ready to be put in, Jesus shows up. Ask Daniel in the lion's den. But if you don't believe that God shows up and reveals himself in hard times, look at, look at the cross where God shows himself to be faithful. Beloved, it, it may not be a, a good time in your life right now. But it just may be a God time in your life right now. I don't know what you're going through. You may be dealing with bills. You may be dealing with health issues. You may be dealing with uh, family issues. You may be dealing with drama. You may have your own Red Seas and you don't see how you're going to get out of it. You may have your own fiery furnace, your own lion's den. But God shows up and shows himself faithful in the hard times of life. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Beloved, the, 
the right time is not determined by what shows up. The right time is determined by who shows up. This Christmas, see your struggles as an opportunity for Jesus to show up and show out. Don't only look to Jesus, but look for Jesus today. But this is all leading to verse 5. From the text, we see that not only the right time ain't always a good time, the right time is always a God time. But lastly, the right time is about the gospel. Verse 5 says to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know, there's no separation of Christology from soteriology. There's no separating the person of Jesus Christ from the salvation he brings. So when Jesus shows up, he brings salvation with him for those who would repent and turn towards him. Verse 5 talks about redemption and adoption. The whole Old Testament was waiting for this moment. Since Genesis 3, God's people had been looking and expecting the Messiah to come. Since the times of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joshua, the Jews have been looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. And here he is, not only revealing himself, but bringing salvation. It's in the advent of Christ. This is the moment that has arrived. And the text shows us that in the gospel, Jesus comes to redeem and to adopt. He says, to redeem those under the law. To redeem those under the law, that, that simply means everybody. He came to redeem those who were guilty of sin. He came to redeem those who were under condemnation. He came to redeem those who were under God's wrath. Those who were going to be punished because of their sinfulness. He comes to redeem. And this word redeem means to buy back. Redemption in and of itself is talking about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Because what does Jesus use to buy us back but his blood? We were held down by sin. We were slaves to sin. We weren't thinking about Christ. Then Jesus steps in and pays our sin debt. He redeems those under the law. So he takes away sin. But, this, but salvation is a two-part promise. He says, I'm going to take away your sin and I'm going to give you my righteousness. He, he redeems us, then he adopts us. And we are adopted as sons. What is this adoption? Adoption, technically, is this is the process of bringing into your family the offspring of another. The offspring of another. Then, then who is Jesus adopting? The text tells us that we are sons and daughters of Satan. That Satan is our father when we come into this world because we love what he gives and we live for ourselves. So when Jesus shows up, he says, I'm going to take you out of Satan's family. I'm going to bring you into my family and I'm going to give you all rights and all privileges. Of being a child of God. 
He doesn't, he doesn't just say, oh, come over to my house and I'm going to give you a hole to stay in. He says, no, come over to my house and I got a mansion for you. I have an inheritance for you. And he gives us his very best. We go from being slaves to sons. That's adoption. John 1 and 12 tells us that it is those who turn towards Christ that are the children of God. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know adoption? When adoption takes place, adoption is just a process by which the person gets into the family. See, when you adopt someone, you don't walk around telling everyone, this is my real son, but then this is my adopted son. When you, when you go around, you don't introduce this person, that, well, that's my adopted son. No, when you're adopted into the family, that's the process by which you're giving full access to the family name. So when Jesus shows up, he doesn't say, these are my adopted children. He says, these are my babies. These are my brothers and these are my sisters. And, and they, they inherit everything that I have. They share with me. What a privilege it is to say we're adopted by Christ himself. Adoption means that I have fully I have fully been accepted by God. Think about it. This is, this is crazy. If we were to adopt someone, we want the sweetest child. We want the cutest child. We want the best behaved child. We want the child who get good grades. We want the child who's going to get a scholarship to college. We want the child who's going to make something of themselves. But when Jesus saw you, and when he saw me, he said, they ain't no good. They filthy. They don't know nothing. They trifling. But I want them anyway. I, I don't need them to show me something. I'm just going to come get them. Because I love them. Beloved, think about where you came from. Think about God, what God's been doing with you. The mess and the foolishness that we walk in. But yet, he chose his people, not based upon what they have done, but based only upon what he has already accomplished on Calvary's cross. In Christ, in his relocation, we have reconciliation. Because he came down and stepped in, gave up his throne for a manger. Because he stepped in in the fullness of time, we have reconciliation. Beloved, my only question today is where does your hope lie today? Don't just look to Jesus or look for Jesus. But some of us today, we need to look upon Jesus as the risen Savior. And we need to trust in him. And him alone. You know, the right time is, is not always a good time. We can't think that everything is going to be all peachy in order for it to be the right time for salvation. But the right time is always the God time. God, Jesus steps into our mess. He steps into our brokenness. 
But the right time is about the gospel. How, how worthless people has been given a name that's above every name. And today may be the right time for you to trust in Christ. Today may be the right time for you to surrender your life to Jesus. For you to stop living for yourself. For you to give up and surrender trying to be in control of your own life. Trying to make everything about you and surrender to Jesus Christ. Because until you surrender to Jesus Christ, you are under God's wrath. You will be eternally separated from God in hell. But Jesus showed up so you wouldn't have to. The call is to trust in Jesus today because he has come to save sinners like us. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. Beloved, he, he may not come when we want him, but he's already come on time. Will you trust in Jesus today as we celebrate Christmas? As we celebrate Christmas, know that we are celebrating an on-time God. Because God is always on time. Look to Jesus all of the time. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, I ask that you would take these meager words and you would sow seeds of righteousness into one who does not know you this morning. Father, I ask that you would take all of my folly and my brokenness, all of my weakness, and use it to glorify yourself. That you would be exalted, you would be seen as supreme, that we would trust in you today and live no longer for ourselves. So Father, I ask that you would show up in a mighty and powerful way. That Christmas Eve will be someone's, someone else's birthday. The day that they lay down their own life and they trust in you for salvation. So Father, may you bless us and keep us as only you can. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.